Well, as we talk about walk this way, the bottom line is, is what that refers to is how should we then live? Or another way of looking at that is how should we then live? As you study the Word of God, there are two major themes from the beginning to the end. One is that that God loves you. God loves you. The second one is the world hates you. The world hates you. The major theme of the Bible is that God so loved the world. Another major theme of the Bible is the world so hates God. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who have surrendered our lives to him and believed the gospel, that he died for our sins, that he was buried and rose again, that we have a responsibility to make sure that the world that so hates God, that is so apart from him, so disconnected, hears the glorious, wonderful, loving truth that Jesus saves. When we talk about walk this way, I think the verse that really summarizes what our position is, that summarizes the point that we have tried to make through this entire study, is 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It is the Bible, the basic instruction before leaving earth that we are to apply to our lives so that we may do all of those things. It's it's the Bible that teaches us true doctrine, true reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. In order to know how to walk the walk and talk the talk, we have to know what God's Word teaches. It's God's Word that teaches us how to walk before man as a testimony of His goodness and of His grace. It's the Bible that tells us, that teaches us how to walk before God as an act of devotion, understanding our obligation to serve the Lord Jesus. So during this study, as we've talked about walk this way, we've learned that we are to walk in the Spirit, and the only way to do that is through prayer and Bible study, to walk not as the other Gentiles walk. There needs to be a sharp contrast, Christian. There needs to be a difference in our lives that the world sees and notices that we love God. As we walk this way, we're to walk as children of light. To walk as children of light, that means we speak truth. We're not ashamed of the truth. We're not hesitant to speak truth. We're to walk in love. And again, to walk in love, that means we tell people the truth of what God's Word says. We are to walk worthy of your calling. See, I, I mean, all of these I love, but that walk worthy of your calling, your calling is an heir of God, is a joint heir of Christ. To walk worthy of that calling is to walk as, a, as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk as Im- imitators of God. We are to mimic 
God in our walk, in our talk, and in our lives. We're to walk circumspectly. See, these are the things we covered over the late the last eight weeks or so. We are to walk circumspectly. That means aware of all that's going on. Walking cautiously. Walking with an understanding of what's happening. As we mentioned last week, you read a newspaper to find out what's going on. You read your Bible to find out why it's going on. And as we walk circumspectly, we walk with an understanding that we'd better walk with the whole armor of God strapped on because we're going to need it in order to stand against the cunning devices, the wiles of the devil. So we walk worthy of our Lord with the whole army of, uh, armor of God strapped around us. This morning I want us to finish up by turning to Ephesians. Ephesians Chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and as we look at the last part of Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 18, there's two words in particular that are going to jump out at us, or hopefully they do. The first word is with prayer, praying. We walk before the Lord, understanding prayer. But the other word that's going to jump out at us is boldness. Boldness. God expects us to be bold in our testimony, bold in determining that as far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We understand that it is the power of God and to salvation. And in today's troubling, dangerous times, it calls on us believers to be bold in our stand. And also bold in understanding we have a responsibility to guard that precious deposit that we have a responsibility to, to, to guard that which has been entrusted in our care, which is the mystery. And we're going to talk a few minutes about that. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul is closing out this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he's saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, the word in there carries with it the idea of rest and continuance and reliance, praying in the Spirit, knowing that our prayers are being heard, knowing that we serve the God who is absolutely in charge. We can trust Him to answer our prayers. So we're praying in the Spirit with rest and continuance. It also gives the idea that Paul talked to the church in Thessalonica about, about pray without ceasing, praying in the Spirit, trusting God. Lord, I'm turning over all of these issues to you. You direct, you guide. I belong to you. I am your child. I am part of the body of Christ. I've been placed there where you want me, where you will use me. Lord, I trust you through all of this. So praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit 
and watching. I think I could have added that word also to this part of walk this way and walking circumspectly. It is watching. When Paul talked to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, he tells the church in Corinth basically to do the same thing because of all that's going on. He told them to watch, to stand, and to be brave. Quit you like men is what he says. Quit ye like men. Uh, 16, Tim. 1 Corinthians 16. Hey, that's a good verse too, but... It was 1 Corinthians 16. That may have been the one I wrote down. I was too excited about sharing your good news. But it says, Paul tells the church in Corinth to watch, to stand, and to be brave. You know why? Because the days required it. And you know what? The days require the same devotion to studying God's Word understanding what was going on, to watch, to stand, and be brave. Look at 2 Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy. Paul, in his last letter to Timothy, well, his last letter, actually, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the same theme is ongoing here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's start with verse 10. I I put 11 there, Tim, but I But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution." But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, Paul is giving us a warning. He's making sure we understand what is coming in the last days. And folks, I, I totally believe we're in the last days of this present dispensation. But he doesn't stop there. Uh, the last part of 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, and this is where we are, folks, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch, see, same theme. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. I can't stress to you enough how important it is that each and every one of us who claim the name of Christ, who has been redeemed, who has been purchased by His sacrificial death on the cross, who has been made a new creation, understand that we have a responsibility before God to serve Him, to work for Him, to love Him, to testify of Him, to watch, to stand, to endure And to be a testimony of his goodness. That's what he tells them to do here. There's no need for me to repeat all the suffering that was endured by Paul for the cause of Christ. Because it was a lot. And he counted it as 
being worthy for all that Christ is to him. And what, what a testimony. But what I find interesting about this last part of the verse is that the Apostle Paul is asking the church in Ephesus to pray for him. And what was he asking them to pray for? He's asking them to pray for boldness. Boldness. And I read that and I think, oh man. If the Apostle Paul needed people to pray for him that he would have boldness, where does that leave me? I mean, Paul had the road to Damascus experience. He received multiple revelations concerning this present dispensation directly from the Lord Jesus. Yet he still needed people to pray for him that he would have the boldness to do something. I'm getting ready to tell you what he needed boldness to do. It was the Apostle Paul that had died back in the early part of Acts and found himself caught up into the third heaven and heard things that were not lawful for him to utter. And he's asking this church in Ephesus to pray for him. But look what he's asking them to pray about. That he, verse 19, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. The word mystery there is mysterion. It has to do with a hidden secret. What? The gospel had a hidden secret? It has to do with something concealed. What in the world could Paul be talking about? Pray for me that I will have the boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, he also tells the church in Corinth what the gospel is for this present dispensation. And believe me, there's only one saving gospel. Amen? That is the gospel that Paul tells the church in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through, 1 through 5. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the good news that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. It is that message that is the power of God unto salvation. What we must do in order to be saved today is to believe that gospel. When Paul talks about my gospel, he's making sure people understand that Christ died for their sins. And who is he talking to here? He's talking to the Gentiles. Talking to the Gentiles. And, and by the way, one of the reasons he got arrested, one of the reasons he prayed for boldness, one of the reasons he's in Eph- that he's writing to Ephesus from where? from prison. What got him there? Well, you, you go to, to Acts uh, chapter 22, verse 21, I believe it is, uh, or 22, 21, I can't remember. But anyway, he was there preaching and teaching, and he was preaching, and he got to the point where he said that Christ is sending him to the Gentiles. Those Jews there in Jerusalem got so upset 
They wanted him arrested. Not only did they want him arrested, they said it is not fit for someone like this guy to even live. And so they started throwing dirt up in the air and they started picking up rocks. They were getting ready to stone him. So he understands, pray for me for boldness, because he knows what happened the last time he mentioned, oh, by the way, God is sending me to the Gentiles. Oh, they freaked out. They freaked out. So here, the church in Ephesus, he's saying, pray for me that I might have the boldness to make known the mystery, the hidden secret of the gospel. So our question needs to be, what, what was that secret? And again, there's only one saving gospel. But folks, let's be clear. If you study the scriptures, there are many, many gospels. Many gospels. Many, and what does gospel mean? Good news. Only one saving gospel. Don't go out of here saying, that preacher said that there, no, there's only one saving gospel. But there is the gospel of the kingdom that the Lord Jesus himself and the apostles preached the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. There was the gospel that Abraham heard way back when. There's the gospel of peace. There's the everlasting gospel that in Revelation talks about. So there are many different good news. But for this present dispensation, there's only one gospel that was the gospel that was given to the Apostle Paul by special revelation, that hidden secret was the fact that God's intentions was to reconnect fallen man to himself through the death, burial, resurrection. All men, by grace, to believe. And when you believed, and here's the part of that, that there was going to be a joint body. God's not working through a nation, but through a joint body that that nation was being blind, the nation of Israel. It was being temporarily set aside, but God had something that was hid in him from the beginning, from the, before the foundation of the world. How that God was going to reconnect fallen man to himself and make them joint heirs through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That was hidden. That there was going to be a joint body that body was going to be made up of believing Gentiles and believing Jews. So when Paul comes along and says, God's no respecter of persons, that was new because he most definitely was a respecter of persons. Israel was his peculiar people. Israel was to be his nation of priests. Israel were his chosen people. But during this present dispensation, and, and I am, I'm going to tell you, God is going to work in and through Israel again. What's happening over there is not by accident. The stage is being set. But right now, Israel is what God's Word calls low ami. Not my people. Not my people. So God is not working through nations. He's not working through a nation. He's working through a body, a joint body made up of Jew and Gentile. For everyone who comes to know Christ as their Savior, it's through His death, burial, and resurrection, and God offers, offers salvation to whosoever will. 
all by His grace, not based on any covenant promise to anyone, not to Abraham, not to Isaac, not to Jacob, not to Moses, not to anyone. What's going on today is God offering salvation by grace, and that's what Paul was talking about. He said, pray for me that it's with boldness. I can open my mouth and speak as I ought to speak and let the people know that Jesus saves because that ticked the Gentiles off, that ticked the Jews off. And it made enemies of both of them. But see, that's, that's, the, way it's all, that's the way Satan has always worked, is to come against God's people. You say, Brother Rick, I need more Scripture. All right? I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, really quick. Ephesians chapter 3. And when we talk about God's grace, we are talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word unsearchable there literally means untraceable. It means unsearchable. You can't go back in the Old Testament and find where it talks about what we have as members of the body of Christ, what God has planned, ordained for us, the body of Christ the riches that we have, seated with Him in the heavenlies, blessed with all spiritual blessings. That's what we have. But Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which is given me to you, how that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery of, So whatever Paul is talking about here was a mystery, a hidden secret, something not revealed. As I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages do words mean anything? which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now? Do words mean anything? Or do we just cover that up and go, okay, Paul, he's just overreacting. But is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What, what was that? Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of a joint body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's, that was something that was hid in God. That the Gent- it was not hid that the Gentiles were going to be saved. But whose job was it to tell them what they needed to do in order to be saved? Israel's job. Salvation was of the Jews. But he came into his own, and his own received him not. And at that point, God would have been justified to say, you're guilty, here comes the tribulation, that's enough. But instead of God's wrath falling, God's grace fell, and this dispensation of the grace of God started, and it's been going nearly 2,000 years, and you go, wow, that's a long time. Folks, that's nothing compared to how gracious God is. 
If it went on another gazillion years, that still falls short of describing the grace, the grace, the graciousness, the mercy of God of heaven. That's that's just good preaching. That's what that is. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the joint body and partakers of his promise in Christ. By the way, Titus 1-2 tells us what that promise is. And that promise is eternal life. The promise of eternal life. See, but you would think the world would have loved that. You would have, you would think the world would have embraced that. You would have thought the world said, yes, finally, the one who loves us, the one who created us, the one who sustains us is here to save me. But yet man hates God. Look at Colossians chapter 1. We're almost done. Colossians chapter 1. By the way, back in Ephesians, he goes on to say that his, his ministry, his job, his purpose is to make all men see what is the fellowship of the dispensation of grace. And it's ours too. It's part of what he's telling Timothy to guard, to be responsible for. But Colossians chapter 1 Start with verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made. Israel was never called the body. Israel was never a body. It was a nation. We are a body. That's what Christ is working through today, the church Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. No wonder he's praying. Pray for me that I might speak, make known that mystery. That's... An incredible incredible aspect, an important aspect of Paul's ministry. One more. Luke, I mean Romans chapter 16. In this study, we need to expand. And we we will in the coming, coming weeks, coming months, because it's so necessary for us to understand. But Romans 16 verse 25. Now to him that is of the power to establish you according to my gospel. He's not being an egotist here. He's explaining that he's been given a special revelation. That's why he could call it my gospel. That's why back in Romans 11, 13, he talks about, I magnify my office as the apostle to the Gentiles because he had received a special revelation Paul is our apostle, understanding what he's teaching us, considering how should we then live, walk this way, is absolutely imperative that we know what Paul's gospel is. But anyway, you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. 
Can it get any clearer? Can it get any plainer? How many churches even talk about the mystery? They'll say, well, the mystery is Christ. The Messiah was not a mystery. The death of the Messiah was not a mystery. It was to be a lamb before his shears. The resurrection was not a mystery. It was prophesied that his body would not see corruption. The death of the Messiah wasn't a mystery. The fact that the Messiah was going to come was not a mystery. Matter of fact, that's what all the prophets talked about. So what's a mystery? What, what is the mystery? Let me tell you what the mystery is. The fact that you're sitting out there this morning, saved to the uttermost. The fact that you Gentiles know that you're headed to heaven, washed in the blood, joint heirs of Christ, eternally secure in Him, blessed with all spiritual blessings. You could go on and on and on. That's at the crust of the mystery. Told Timothy to guard that precious deposit. Here's the sad thing. He also tells Timothy in the last part, in the last letter he writes to him, he tells him, he said, all those of Asia have forsaken me. Hadn't forsaken the Lord. I think they had already started forsaking that gospel of the grace of God. I think that works plus grace had already started slithering in and doing its work on the church. All those of Asia have forsaken me. And it takes boldness to stand and speak concerning what the Bible literally teaches about this present dispensation and who we are in Christ and what is required for salvation. Most churches want to mix the law. They want to mix righteous works. When the mystery is all about None of that is required. Yes, once we're saved, we want to serve. We want to work. We want to live righteously. Amen? But there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn favor with the God who made you. His Son is the one in whom he's well pleased. And you want to please God by faith. You trust in Jesus Christ. And the moment you do that, you are taken by the Holy Spirit and you are placed into the body of Christ. The one baptism where you are baptized into Christ, you are sealed in Christ until the day of redemption. You become part of that body. So as we walk this way, we speak the truth with clarity. We stand for the truth with boldness. And we walk according to the truth in love. Amen? Let's stand and be dismissed this morning. If you do not know the Lord Jesus...
this would be a great time, a great day to be made that new creation by trusting, trusting in the Lord, by placing your faith in Him, believing that Christ died for you, He was buried, He rose again. Understanding you don't have to leave here and do anything to earn that salvation. It is a free gift from God. Isn't that an amazing story? Let's pray. And as we bow in prayer, just thank God for that amazing grace. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Father, I come before you acknowledging that there's absolutely nothing worthy of your death, your burial, your resurrection on my behalf. Father, I come before you praising your name that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ I stand righteous in him, nothing owing. Father, that just speaks of the wonderment and the glory of all Christ is. And Father, this morning we love you because of that salvation. We love you because you first loved us and you demonstrated that love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we bow before you and we praise your holy and most precious name. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never by faith trusted you, that before they leave this building, that they will settle that all-important issue and by faith trust Christ, become that new creation. Now, Father, pray this morning for, uh, for Dr. Abraham. Pray for Karen as she leaves to go to Kenya to serve you there. Father, protect her. Watch over her. Keep her safe. But Lord, use her in a mighty way. Help her to be bold in her faith and confident in your calling on her life. Father, we thank you for Courtney being back with us today. We thank you for her and her ministry. And just pray your blessings on her. And Father, pray for Pat and Neil as they're traveling home. Keep them safe. Father, we thank you now for this time of fellowship. As we stand before you, we ask your blessings on all that's been prepared. We thank you for the food. We thank you for all the hands that prepared it. Father, we just pray that you'll bless it to our bodies and our bodies to your service. We thank you for how you supply all of our need according to your riches and glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name, who is Lord of all.